The Start On Demand. On demand. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is having all kinds of global effects and the latest, a threat to the global food supply. We spoke at length today about what some people are describing as, quite frankly, food hell. Speaking of food supply, after five straight record-making months of hampers, a new concerning number for Harvest Manitoba. On the lighter side of food, Dine About Winnipeg kicks off this weekend in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of Chow Magazine. And we had a blast talking about the sayings we use but maybe don't understand, or the sayings we just flat out get wrong. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, March 10th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, I would like to begin the show with something that got me excited yesterday when I was watching Global News at 6 o'clock on Global Winnipeg, this courtesy of Global's Will Reimer, Loren. Shelby adds the province should also look at expanding the use of shelter belts. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. (laughs) Woo! That's the kind of stuff that gets me going at 6 a.m., baby. Shelter belt talk. Yes. This isn't just Minidosa conversation anymore. This no, isn't just between the three right. of us. This is nationwide now. Yeah. This is important stuff. This could become a common phrase, a common way to save us from the disasters that we've seen on Manitoba highways this winter. Windbreaks. Plant some trees. Put them up, people. Make it better for the next generation. Is it going to help you today? No. Will it help you tomorrow? No. Will it help you next year? No. It takes time to grow trees. But, but, decades from now, your children and your children's children will have less wind and snow slapping them in the face. Shelter belt. (laughs) And when you are being sheltered, don't forget to zipper merge. <laughs> McNabb's on fire on a Thursday morning. But uh, yeah, that derailed my my viewing of the uh, evening newscast completely. I had to press pause and I had to rewind and record the video and share it because we were talking about shelter belts yesterday. And you were, uh, we, this is something you've uh, talked about before. But again, like we just mentioned in the weather, another blowing snow advisory in effect. I got the notification early this morning. Uh, so that's expected, I guess, later today because the wind is going to shift to the northwest up to 40 to 60 kilometers an hour. Uh, so we'll have much to discuss this morning after 7 o'clock, for example. We're going to hear Will Reimer's full story on the, the highway situation after all those crashes on Tuesday, and we'll hear from RCMP as well. And another thing that we're going to be talk- discussing at length today, uh, Mr. Mackling has to do with, and you touched on this yesterday, but the war in Ukraine is looking to create a serious food problem around the world. Yeah, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. It's been referred to as the breadbasket of the world, with all due respect to Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta. The amount of food that's produced not only for Europe, but Northern Africa and other parts of the world is extraordinary. So the food professor will join us. And this is something I think I might have mentioned to you guys a couple of days into the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, 
what happens if Ukraine can't plant any crops in 2022? What happens to the food supply around the world? Well, it could be very, very dire, Loren. Food hell is how one expert put it. And uh, Sylvain will uh, put it into perspective for us later on this morning, uh, just after news at 8.30. Well, we've got, you know, between Russia and Ukraine, those two countries produce, I think it's close to 15% of the world's wheat. Uh, they account for one third of global wheat exports. Wheat prices are already high, which could could sound like good news, depending on what end of that equation you're on, if the prices go up, except for the trickle down effect, right? We all pay more. So we'll talk more about what this means or could mean with Sylvain at 837. And then just after eight, we're going to check back in with Winnipeg Harvest. We know they've already seen five straight months of record setting handouts, record setting hampers being given to Manitobans who are just looking for a little help up. Well, their February numbers are in and you can bet the trend continues and another new record has been set. So we'll hear more from Harvest about what that means and and where this will all go because we're in so many ways, we're only just at the beginning of this. We talked a lot about the impact of the pandemic. People lost their jobs. Some of them lost their livelihood. Businesses were greatly impacted. People were struggling to go out and do different things. And so Harvest saw huge demand throughout the pandemic. But now we have this whole other part of the problem being the supply chain, gas prices, what what will the, even the Ukraine situation with the production of wheat? What will this all mean for food prices, and particularly for those who can least afford any hikes at all, Brad? Also today, we are we we just talked about shelter belts, and uh, Greg mentioned we should this will be a, a nationwide saying. Well, we're going to have a conversation about sayings today, and it's actually a springboard off of yesterday's chat where we discussed the things that we didn't know were things. And we got a lot of texts yesterday from people uh, explaining various sayings or things we didn't know. Like we mentioned, uh, it was listener Vicky who pointed out that a buttload is an actual unit of measurement. I just thought it was something that kids made up some many years ago. And it's a real, it goes back hundreds of years, Greg. Yeah, it's an actual thing. And it ties into something else that someone was debating with their kids, butt naked versus buck naked. So it had us talking about, well, one's right, one's wrong, one's new, one's accurate, one's inaccurate. And so, Loren, that got you thinking about some of the sayings that others might use or that we might use incorrectly, might just, just the turn of phrase, the idiom is just not quite right. Yes. And so that, of course, had me thinking of some different scenes from The Office. I mean, you will play some of those later, but like, it's like cutting off your nose to spider face. (laughs) <laughs> spite it spites your face cutting off your nose to spite your face michael scott not cutting off your nose to spider face but we all get some of these sayings wrong or you might not even know what they mean or why you're saying them like uh i hear people say wreck havoc not wreak havoc it's supposed to be wreak havoc right uh, they get couldn't care less wrong right they say i could i could care less it's no you couldn't care less but then you start talking yourself in and out of the contraction you're like do i i don't care but do i, I care could, could i care I, more could i could i care, care more, more. Could, i couldn't care i could i could not i could not i couldn't i don't care you know like, just like, <laughs> so lots of sayings out there that people don't get right or they get wrong or you just get wrong on purpose because you could not care less <laughs> Shen is looking now at just how countries who rely on Ukrainian agriculture will be impacted and that ripple effect that will extend far beyond Europe. Ukrainian refugees have fled, often without knowing where their next meal will come from. 
Inside the country's besieged cities, food is running out. A tragic irony in a part of the world long known as the breadbasket of Europe. Ukraine and Russia are huge producers and exporters of grains and oilseeds. But many Ukrainian farmers have left the fields to fight and Black Sea ports are closed. Right now, knowing how much Black Sea actually matters in the scale of the international grain export, it's, it's going to be very, very and very bad. The war has strangled supply, with the price of wheat and sunflower seeds breaking records. About 80% of sunflower oil comes from these two countries. So the, the impact of this crisis is worldwide. This is a disaster for struggling countries close to Ukraine. Lebanon, where the economy is already in tatters, gets most of its wheat from there. War-torn Yemen, where hunger is already a huge problem, relies heavily on affordable grain imports. The ripple effects could soon be felt even more strongly, according to this Ukrainian trade expert. It's not just some local Ukrainian-Russian war. And if you don't want to have another refugee crisis from those areas, which, which will be under threat, this is something that the world needs to do. We need a way of ending this. The World Food Programme says the war compounds the effect of COVID-19, climate change and other conflicts. It says 44 million people are already on the edge of famine and that could rise further unless it gets more funds. Better still would be an end to this and other wars. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. So the price can go up and that might mean uh, some good things for producers uh, that aren't in the middle of a war. However, supply shortages and Redmond listed uh, some of the countries that would be directly affected by this. And you rattled off some statistics earlier, Loren. Ukraine has 41.5 million hectares of agricultural land. It covers 70%, 70% of the country and about 25% of the world's reserves of black soil is in Ukraine. This is the breadbasket of Europe, absolutely, and far-reaching ramifications uh, if this soil, if this land goes unseeded. And I'm curious as well, maybe, you know, sunflowers were mentioned there, uh, the oil seeds that are are so a big part of this. Corn is also a, a big part of the crops in Ukraine. Might it alter in any way the crops that are seeded and planted in Manitoba this summer? kind of depends, you know, in terms of how long this goes on. And there's also concerns here at home just about the cost of planting, period. You know, gas prices, fertilizer, fertilizer prices are also yeah. on a huge spike. So there's, I know there are producers out there saying, oh, wow, we finally have some moisture in the soil and here we go. Uh, we're facing a whole other host of issues. The rising wheat prices are only beneficial if you're someone who already has wheat at hand in your in your bins and and ready to sell right now. I know the World Food Program with the UN is urging Canada and other wheat exporters to help fill the shortage so whatever they have on hand can it be shipped now to get to places like Ethiopia, Yemen, Sudan where they're already experiencing such food crises. So I mean it's just that the implications of this it's one of those things you say the trickle down effect but when the trickle down effect starts to mean just the the number of people who might truly go hungry who might truly starve uh we all need to put up our head and say well what can we do next backling mcgarry and mcnab yesterday we talked about the things that we didn't know were things 
And that prompted a number of text messages about sayings. Stuff like, I believe it was Tim who talked about the difference between butt naked versus buck naked. And that got us thinking about the sayings that we use, but might not even know why we use them or really know the origin of the saying or sayings that either we get wrong or sayings that you see or hear other people botch. So we need you to text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win either two tickets to see David Spade at Club Region Event Center on June 26th, tickets on sale today, or we've got four package or a four pack of tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park next weekend and uh, we're going to give the winner the choice and then the runner up will get the other prize and I'm going to start us off with Ricky from Trailer Park Boys who sure? is rene- yeah it's <laughs> safe for air I verified it 17 times uh, <laughs> including during our the last commercial set uh, Ricky is renowned for his Rickyisms you know he's getting all frustrated and he's taking his problems in on me and other people in the park why don't you start doing your job instead of making false incriminations all the time just remember Ricky he comes around is all around. It's my wife we're talking about. She's not going to be wearing one of those cubic or Caribbean things. She's going to have a nice ring. Think about it. Dope goes for way more awesome price in jail. Supply and command. Supply and command! <laughs> <laughs> Which is true in the prison setting, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Loren, let's get to yours because I see you've got a couple from the office. You can play whichever one you wanted. Michael Scott was famous for always getting things wrong, and so hit whichever one's top there. Brett, go for it. I don't know it. what to do. Do I I go tell Joe or I don't want everyone to keep blaming the wrong person. I don't know what the best plan is, Bam. Oh, God. My mind is going a mile an hour. That fast. Oh. <laughs> My mind is going a mile an hour. Oh, I just love that saying. But the one that kind of bugs me that people use, and you have to stop and think about it sometimes because it involves math and maybe it's we're not all that good at it. But when people say something like, oh, they did a complete 360 on me. And you're like, do you mean 180? Like they did the op, like the opposite of what they meant? Because if they did a 360, they came full circle and things are good. No, like, and I think that one just gets wrong because 360 is the bigger number. Maybe I don't know, but I hear people say that, and I'm like, no, I think you mean 180. Although I don't know because I don't know the context. So that's the one that kind of irks me. You know what they say? Fool me once, strike one. <laughs> but fool me twice. That's right. Strike three. <laughs> so many things wrong with that. So many things wrong with that. Jeff Braun, what about you? Um, the one, the one that really bothers me the most, and I see it in you know comments online all the time, is when people say "would of" instead of "would have." Right. It, it's it's H A V E, not O F. And I, I guess it becomes comes from the because con- sometimes you can contract "would have" to W O U L D apostrophe V E, and it mm-hmm. sounds like "would have." But when people write wood of, that just drives me right up the wall. Yeah, yeah. Well, Greg, you were saying you see another. What was it that you sometimes see even in print? Even in print, I'll see all of the sudden versus all of the sudden. And so both things have sort of become acceptable. My brother says all the sudden, all the time. (laughs) And it sort of just doesn't ring right with me. And then, of course, there's this one. That uh, just drives me nuts and has for uh, many, many years. Is Jerry into it? Completely into it. He's chomping at the bit. Really? Chomping or champing? I think it's chomp, champing. What is champing? Champing, but pronounced chomping. No, it's it's spelled chomping and it's pronounced chomping. Not so sure. 
I'm so sure. Really? Chump. <laughs> Larry David and Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Curb. And uh, this is just says it all here. This is from Portable Press. The headline, you're saying it wrong. Champing versus chomping. It's a common phrase that's often said incorrectly. What's the difference between champing at the bit and chomping at the bick? Which one is correct? It's champing at the bit, not chomping. It comes from, or the idiom comes from, the sport of kings, horse racing. But, of course, chomping has become more commonplace. Champing, though, at its base, at the core of the saying, goes back a long, long time when they use that word. Yeah. I think I thought it was chomping. Well, they're both acceptable. Correct. That's the thing. They're both That's acceptable. Right. And when you, there's no context in which anyone would ever say champing outside of that term. So, uh, Greg, simmer down now. What's that? Oh, I'm simmer all, down. Oh, I'm all good with it because <laughs> chomping has become the way we say it. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I'd prefer the, the, the core, the root term. Cameron Poitras. Well, here's a stupid one that I totally blame on Judas Priest. Uh, this is totally their <laughs> fault. Um, you've got another thing coming. Yeah. Somebody have you ready? Yeah, I was going to say that too. I was going to oh say that too. You, you stole mine. So oh I had this God, all ready to go. I'm sorry, I'm sorry 4J. <laughs> it's another think coming. The oh, phrase was originally, that's right. if, if that's what you think, You've got another think coming, but I think that sounds stupid, so I'm just going to go with Judas Priest. <laughs> I totally Judas agree. Th- That's yeah. right. I had no I'm idea gonna... that it was think, not thing. I had. I would I would have thought that. Can they both make sense? No to you? Like, I get it's another, you have another think coming, but you have another thing coming. That works. I'm just no. going to go with Rob Halford on this one. Always go with the priest. Always. Yeah. Don yesterday texted us uh, talking about the whole nine yards, and he explained that the term the whole nine yards comes from the First World War. When a sniper was suspected, Mm. a machine gunner would expend an entire belt of bullets into the area. Each belt was 27 feet long, hence give him the whole nine yards. So that's both fascinating and horrifying. Yes. I thought it was a football idiom. Yes. I thought it was golf for some reason, (laughs) which is not even part of golf at all. Here's another one. Deep-seated. It's not deep-seated. What? Like S E E D. It's seated. Seated. Like you seated. C E D. I thought it was seated like you seed, like a seed, like a plant seed. But it's not like seated, like sit down. Deep seated. No, I thought it was deep seated. Well, then you're giving it up. No, it's not deep seated. It's deep seated. I was learning so much, and then this just happened. No, hang on. Hang on. I thought it's like you seed, like when you like. You're giving up? You give up. Oh. <laughs> no, that's oh, not right. Though. I don't know. No, Never quit, Loren. Never quit. <laughs> it's a deep seated, deep rooted issue, maybe I thought. It's like when people say de thaw. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you're putting it back in the freezer? Corporal Richard Jansen of Manitoba RCMP described Tuesday's situation on the Trans-Canada Highway to Richard Cluche and Skylar Peters yesterday afternoon on the news. There was snowdrifts across the road. At some points, they were about four feet high. At some points, almost 
impassable and I'm trying to get to not one but two collision scenes. And when I got there, there was no chance of me cutting across or, you know, going to the next mile and hoping that I could cross there in my police car. So to be perfectly honest, I just walked through the ditch and I was up to my waist in snow just to get across the highway. And when I got there, there's so many vehicles. And then I found out that I was only at the first one, only to go to the second one to find out that there was another, you know, 100, 200 people that were stranded there as well. And the collisions that we were dealing with there were very severe. Um, you know, people were leaving in critical condition. Um, ambulance was doing what we could. We had to uh, drive down the wrong side of the highway with the ambulance just so the ambulance could, could take these people to a hospital, um, only to find out that they were going to be um, utilizing stars to get back to Winnipeg. So it was, uh, I'm, yeah, it was not good. That's Corporal Richard Jansen. He adds this. Honestly, this winter has been like nothing I've ever seen. And don't get me wrong, I'm a proud Manitoban. I can only think of 1997 that we've had weather like this. And, I mean, that brought all kinds of havoc on the road. Yeah, and let's hope 1997, April, May, uh, does not repeat itself in 2022. No reading, no kidding, Gluche. As Will Reimer reports, experts say there's no shortage of ways the province should be preparing. Between dozens of reports of incidents on Highway 1 as well as the Perimeter Highway and a staggering 80-vehicle collision on McGilvery Boulevard, Tuesday was a challenging and dangerous day on Manitoba roadways. It was just the latest in what has been an exceptionally snowy winter, which has seen multiple highways shut down because of icy conditions and reduced visibility. Our storms that we do experience and that we're used to are going to become uh, more intense and a bit more frequent. Darren Swanson with the International Institute for Sustainable Development says it's something we should get used to as the effects of climate change become more profound. The impacts to our road infrastructure, almost too numerous to list. We're going to have changing precipitation patterns uh, in the future and that's going to cause a number of impacts like uh, reduced uh, structural integrity of roads. It's going to premature weathering of roads, flooding of infrastructure, increased risk of critical events, of course. Ahmed Shalabi is a professor of transportation engineering at the University of Manitoba and agrees highway maintenance will become more of an issue in the years to come. We can always look for more aggressive snow clearing methods. One of those is um, you know, a proactive use of uh, uh, direct liquid applications. So you know, uh, spraying the highway sometimes a few hours before a storm hits, uh, such that snow is not going to uh, stick to the surface of the highway. Shelby adds the province should also look at expanding the use of shelter belts. In the longer term, Swanson says there are a myriad of ways the province should begin preparing. And that comes in the form of uh, better, more informed, risk-informed planning, uh, certain types of structural and technical solutions that can be applied to our infrastructure, and then enhanced monitoring and maintenance of our infrastructure. Will Reimer, Global News.
So much good information in that story from Global's Will Reimer and the idea of how we plan better for the future, you know, and we always put millions of dollars into roads every year. And we're all looking at it, particularly from the standpoint of the comfort level. You know, is it going to be bumpy? Is it going to be better paved? Uh, how will I be able to see the, the signage, the lights and all the rest? But man, we spend six to eight months driving through snow and wind and sleet and all the rest. And so what are we going to do about blowing snow? How can we do things better? And yes, you can say this is just a really bad winter. But when we look at trends, what are we trending towards? We've talked in the past about the fact that wind speeds are slowly picking up. They might be coming from different directions. So what does that mean in terms of how we build the roads and how we plan for that? What does that mean when it comes to shelter belts? I don't care how many times I say this. Where does it make sense to plant more trees depending on the direction of the wind to protect the road, to prevent blowing snow, but also to prevent soil erosion in the summer, which is also one of the big intents and purposes, not intensive purposes, but intents and purposes of the shelter belt, just to tie in our conversations this morning. And then beyond that, really, like, I, I think it comes down to not just saying, well, it's a blip on the radar, it's just a bad winter. But if we're going to see more of these, what can we do to build better and be better for the future? Lots of great stuff in there. I don't know if we're listening. One of our listeners pointed out in an email, Greg, about the fact that 15 or 20 years ago, maybe it was 30 years ago, there was a big campaign to plant more trees along the Trans-Canada. Asking you to tell us about the sayings you get wrong, the sayings that you hear other people get wrong. And Greg, Amanda's got a few. People say honker down when it's hunker down. What? Honker down. That's what she says. I, I don't know. Have you ever heard that, Loren? Honker? I've honker heard down? honker for sure. Okay. But it, it was just supposed to be, yeah. Uh, hunker down, yeah. Uh, many people say sherbet when it's only sherbet. Yeah, only that was R a dumb word. word. <laughs> <laughs> it's a delicious know. frozen treat, it is, though. But like, whenever you're at a restaurant or someone, it's like the thing where you're like, I'll have some... Uh, Sherbet. Shir- shir- I'll have this. Any point to it? Yeah, you're like, you have I'll to point to it. Uh, we've mentioned this unthaw, which would be frozen. You you take it out and then it goes, you know, unfrozen. Then you put it back in. And then when people say sleep tight, very few realize the saying comes from sailors. Their bunks had ropes holding up their mattresses. So having the ropes tight gave a better rest. Otherwise the bunk would be sagging. So that's very interesting uh, history and language there. Thank you. Small town salute. During the pandemic, online commerce has become a decidedly larger part of the economy. So have home businesses, Brett, which either cater to this part of the economy or take advantage of it, depending on how you look at it. In the past, opening a traditional business meant either having your own storefront or selling to others with one. And most often, those storefronts needed to be in a place which could drive enough people through your doors for you to make a living. Well, Lorraine, in 2022, your storefront is quite literally worldwide. That's because, you know, from in most cases, that virtual storefront can really be based anywhere that the technology might allow it, which brings us to our small town salute, where we're going to head to Sanford to say good morning to Jordan Kennedy. Good morning, Jordan. Hello. Uh, thanks for uh, having us on your show. We're super excited. I'm here with uh, my business partner, ATM. Hey guys, it's Etienne. Hello. Etienne. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So, but, uh, Etienne, what's your last name? Uh, Adams. 
Adams. Okay, cool. So let's yeah. just start, first of all, before we get into the business and what you're doing in terms of accommodating so many others. Jordan, can you just tell us about Sanford? Where's Sanford? Uh, yeah, so Sanford is a small town just south of Winnipeg, um, just a little past Oak Bluff, uh, and- just a 800-member town. Yeah, so you just go a little bit west of Oak Bluff, and so that's where we find Jordan and Etienne. Etienne, why do you work in that part of the world? Well, I'm actually in Winnipeg. Uh, we uh, we uh, we we actually met uh, cross paths in grade four. We're like long time children. And we start uh, we decided to start this business. Um, it was actually a funny story how we got started. I'll I'll let Jordan sort of tell that. Uh, I was a goat farmer out in Sanford, and um, we made soaps out of the goat milk. And uh, you made you what? Know, you made what? We, we made soaps out of goat milk. Oh, we would soaps. milk the goats, and then uh, we would take the milk and make it into soap. <laughs> and uh, it's really good for people with eczema and psoriasis, um, and just people with sensitive skin in general. But uh, the the soaps are about six dollars, and we would have to ship them all across Canada to retailers. And um, shipping just became super expensive. And I was talking to my friend uh, Etienne here saying, hey, this is a problem for me. And uh, it's actually how we came up with netsaver.ca. We help small businesses save money on shipping. And uh, we have 200 members. We're a Manitoba-based company, but we help businesses all across Canada. And I find that completely incredible that you can be based pretty much wherever you like and you can help people wherever they are solve their problem. So how does that work, Etienne? How do you how do you help people save on shipping? Because uh, that's obviously the last mile. That's how you get your product or people get their products into the hands of their customers versus handing it to them in a bag across the counter. Yes, and that's the million-dollar question. So we came up with a solution to uh, provide our customers with the labels, the boxes, the printers, the, the thermal paper, all the supplies needed to have an at-home business uh, send out parcels. And we're doing it in a way that we're saving, we're aggregating the cost for them and saving between 20 to 40% on every parcel. So typically our cost uh, to, to send out a, a, the smallest package size, um, you'll save 3 to $4 compared to any of the big player carriers out there. Um, and we we also have insurance, so we're we're an all in-house solution for small business to shipping. We we typically say if you send under a thousand parcels a year, we can we can save you the same amount as the people who save ten thousand a year or send ten thousand parcels a year. And uh, um, to, so. to cut in here, like we don't charge any monthly fees for our app. Uh, it's just you know we call it a save as you go plan. You know if you ship one, hey, you're we're going to help you out. But uh, yeah, we help everyone out. This uh, past summer, we went to hundreds of farmers markets, actually through the prairies, and met hundreds of uh, business owners, shipped hands, and talked to them. And their biggest problem with shipping is it's moved. Uh, their their business in general is it's moved in in st- like in their house or online, and uh, the shipping costs are outrageous. So we're trying to lower that cost to save small businesses money, and uh, and ultimately just help small businesses grow. Yeah, it's a it's a really feel good industry that we're in. Um, especially just connecting with businesses, shaking hands. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really feel-good business. We help a lot of people. So Etienne, it's Brett, Brett McGarry here. If uh, if a small business wants to take advantage of your net saver service, like how does how does it work in terms of actually moving the product? Do they, do they have to get the product to you? Do you get the, the shipping supplies to them? Like where, how does that work? 
Right. Yeah. So it's it's on it's an on demand parcel uh, supply pickup. So um, you'll go on our site. You'll put put the order in, and then you'll order you'll order all your your supplies. You'll put you'll put your label through. Uh, you'll print you'll print the label, and then we'll you'll do, uh, we'll do the pickup or drop off solution. So it's all through um, through our our website. Then you can arrange all this stuff, and you get the total price. And there's price comparison on different. Uh, different options for if you want a two-day delivery or a three-day delivery. Um, so it's uh, it's very simple. It takes about two minutes to make an account, and then you can start uh, comparing prices for free, no credit card needed. That's and um, a name and an email address. And then all you need for your account. yeah, and the site will walk you through the steps and how to get everything and how to how to how to uh, send out your first package with us. Yeah. Two quick two quick questions for you guys before before I just Jordan uh, you. Uh, you may have mentioned this already, but you started off as a, a soap maker from Sanford, and then you were looking into shipping. How many people are you now helping lower their shipping costs? You might be small businesses. You said several hundred. Uh, yeah, so we have about two hundred members right now across Canada. Um, so we are a small app, but uh, we are growing. We've been in business for about two years with this, and uh, the more people we help, the just the better we can do, and uh, and the more services we can offer. So, and you're in Sanford and Etienne's in Winnipeg, but you're obviously in the same room today, and you kind of finish each other's sentences. So I was just curious how well you two know one, one another. You, you go way back, it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> very, very far back, uh, since grade four. Um, and, you know, we had other businesses, snow shoveling businesses. You know, we, uh, we've done some other local stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, this is just kind of what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we've been doing it really well, and people are really happy with what we're doing. So, yeah, it's started off as sort of a side a side hobby kind of thing um, that was just an easy little side business and uh, we we started working actually with some local programs in Manitoba to help our business grow and uh, we're seeing the scalability and uh, and we're just we're able to extend our reach out especially during COVID when businesses are really having and struggling with with uh, with their business and running it we're able to really extend that reach so we're just trying to get right across Canada and really help out everybody as much as we can and save them save them as much money. Etienne, Jordan, thanks for this. We appreciate it very much. You're sounding like you're helping uh, small businesses in small towns right across the country. We'll we'll catch you catch up with you again. Netsaver.com. Thanks, guys. Uh, .ca. Netsaver.ca. Oh, <laughs> oh so CA is important. Sorry, boys. Yeah. Yeah. If you type in Netsaver, you'll find us. We're, we're covering Google. So Right on. Jordan Kennedy and Etienne Adams from Netsaver.ca. Here in Manitoba, records are being set again at Harvest Manitoba. But for the organization that serves thousands of hungry adults, parents, and children every month, it's nothing to brag about. Yeah, so we have been sharing that in September, of course, Harvest helps more than 11,000 people with food hampers. That was the first for Harvest to hit that 11,000 number. And then from September through January, the numbers never dropped again below 11,000. And now we're learning that last month there was another new high, more than 12,000 food hampers made for the month of February. So this is, again, another concerning record. Vince Barletta is the president and CEO at Harvest and joins us now. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Loren. So if you want to, I know that the goal is to help as many people as possible, and that's always a good thing to reach as many people as possible, Vince. But we were just saying earlier, the trend, the idea would be to get the numbers to go down, right? We don't want more people struggling. We want to see less people struggling. So I'm curious how you're feeling when you see that number and how all your many dedicated volunteers are feeling, knowing that the demand just continues to rise. 
Well, it's a big concern, Loren. And as you indicated, hitting a record of 12,000 hamper households uh, supported by Harvest across the province is nothing to brag about. It's nothing to celebrate. Uh, It represents tens of thousands of people who are in poverty. And and I'll just let you know as well, Loren, that that 12,000 number is, that's households. So behind that number, we're talking about uh, close to 35,000 people, half of them kids that are living in those households that are receiving that food hamper uh, support. So again, that number is nothing to celebrate. And and when we chat each month, Loran, I'd love nothing more than to be able to tell you that the number's gone down. And we hope someday we'll be able to tell you that. Boy, oh boy, Vince, it's Greg here. And uh, one of your predecessors who I had a lot of respect for, David Northcott, always said that his goal in life was to put himself out of a job as it pertained to harvest. Does that goal seem further away than ever, Vince? Well, it sure does seem further away on a day like this when we're talking about a a record number of households, 12,000 households across the province uh, needing hamper support. And I think we we know the reasons. Uh, Inflation, inflation, inflation. And that's what we're hearing uh, on the phones from our clients, from new families that Uh, need the support of Harvest, the price of food, the price of fuel, the price of everything these days going up is putting a real pinch on all kinds of people and people like we've talked about before, Greg, our friend here, Ian Graham, who lives on a disability uh, pension, and he has about $1,300 a month to live on. And after he pays all his bills, he's got around 120 bucks a month left for food for the month. So we're talking about around $30 a week to pay for his groceries. Now you tell me, anyone that goes to the grocery store, and we all do, what kind of food you're going to be getting for $30 for the week. And those prices keep going up and up and up. So that's why we're seeing that demand here. And and you mentioned Dave Northcott, and I agree with that sentiment. And that is always the goal that we have in sight, that one day we'll close the doors here at Harvest and never come back. Uh, but that day is certainly not today. And given the numbers we had last month, uh, it, looks, uh, it looks even further away. Vince, it's Brett here. You serve food banks right across Manitoba. How are fuel prices impacting the delivery of these goods and getting that food out to different communities? Well, you know, what I've been telling folks is that it's a triple whammy for Harvest because the, the economic hardship, the inflation, high gas prices and food prices make it tougher for people on low incomes to make ends meet. And so that increases the, the need for hampers. That puts more demand on harvest to get hampers out uh, the door. Of course, we run a fleet of about 12 trucks and commercial vehicles that pick up food and deliver hampers and do the, all, the, all the other work uh, that they do. They run on gasoline and diesel, so that increases the cost of our operations. And then in addition to the incredible amounts of food that are donated by Manitobans and by our grocery and producer partners, we do also have to go out and buy food uh, to supplement those supplies. And the price of that food's going up as well. And as we're hearing with all the, all the war overseas in Ukraine, uh, that may just continue to go up and up and up as far as grain prices. That's going to continue to hit us hard for the months ahead. So really, this inflationary period is a triple whammy. And in rural Manitoba, it hits people especially hard uh, where they're particularly reliant on on gas uh, and uh, for their vehicles to get around.
I was going to mention, and unfortunately we have just less than a minute here, Vince, but you know, the further north you go, we know the more things cost and food prices in northern communities have always been an issue. But man, it, some of it has to be astronomical right now. Well, it, it is astronomical, Loren, and we just finished sending a, a truck up on an ice road to Shamatawa with 2,000 pounds of food uh, for Chief Redhead and his community there, and we were happy to do that. It's tough all over Manitoba, but what I ask is that for Manitobans who can, who are able, dig deep, uh, think about donating some funds, think about donating food, or think about volunteering your time. Visit us online, harvestmanitoba.ca. Give us a call, 204 204- Nine eight two three five eight one, and see how you can get involved to support our work. The horror of war, of course, has besieged this country of over forty-four million people. Over two million Ukrainians have fled their country, and have in just over two weeks, this European country is almost re- unrecognizable. The essentials of life are at a premium in many Ukrainian cities. Electricity, sewer and water services have been destroyed. Food and consumable water are in short supply or have run out completely in places. That is the current state for some as we speak, Loren. And a statement from the head of the World Food Program caught our attention yesterday. Yeah, so his name is David Beasley, and David has warned the conflict in Ukraine really could send global food prices soaring. (laughs) Some might argue they're already soaring, and that could have a catastrophic impact on some of the world's poorest. So Ukraine and Russia are both major exporters of basic foodstuffs, and the war has already hit crop production there, driving up prices. We know ports are closed, so exports aren't going out, and the people who might be in the fields can't get in the fields right now. And so Mr. Beasley said it was putting more people at risk of starvation worldwide. His quote is, just when you think hell on earth can't get any worse, it does. That from David Beasley of the World Food Program. We're joined now by Dr. Sylvain Chalard-Lebois, Senior Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie in Halifax. Good morning, Sylvain. Good morning. Walk us through the connection here. I know that, I mean, we're so interconnected when it comes to food, but how dependent on Ukraine and Russia is the rest of the world when it comes to things like wheat? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, the Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, that region is a huge exporter of grains, uh, wheat in particular. In terms of exports, uh, Russia is number one in the world uh, when it comes to uh, wheat exports, and Ukraine is number three. (laughs) So... Just there, and of course, we saw uh, we saw it with futures. Future prices are actually much higher now as a result of well, what's happening. The Ukraine yesterday didn't announce that it's not going to be exporting anything for the next little while, and that's why markets uh, just went crazy. Now things are coming down, uh, so that's one a- one area that is uh, of concern. The other. Uh, Topic, of course, are fertilizers. Um, uh, about 50% of fertilizers used in Canada actually will come from Russia, uh, Ukraine, and, and China as well. And so, of course, with fertilizer uh, prices rising, this will actually become a huge. Well, it has it has been a huge problem for our farmers for the last uh, six months or so. Before it was supply chain problems that were pushing fertilizer prices higher, but now uh, we're actually seeing uh, the Ukraine conflict uh, pushing prices even higher because that region actually does produce a lot of fertilizers, and it's pretty idle right now. So farmers are desperate to find, you know, 
feed to feed the soil, essentially. Sylvain, this is not the way producers in other parts of the world would like to see higher prices for their product or commodity. Supply and demand, of course, is at the core of our economic system, but there is a tipping point for both, is there not? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think, I mean, this year it's going to be a, a very challenging year when it comes to production, world production. And, of course, uh, people may think, well, Manitoba and pra- the prairies uh, uh, do produce a lot of grains, but uh, everything is negotiated uh, on world markets. And so the benchmark is basically uh, CME, and, and uh, that's how farmers are paid. Uh, this year should be a good year for farmers as long as, you, as uh, Mother Nature uh, cooperates. And, of course, if you have fertilizers, but that's that's highly unlikely right now with uh, with with what's going on with prices. And of course, we 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 also uh, are dealing with uh, a potential strike uh, at Cane uh, Pacific, uh, which could start next week. That's great timing. <laughs> Sylvain, will the rest of the world be able to shoulder the loss of this food production? Um. We don't know. Uh, we don't know uh, if if they if if some markets are impacted by uh, by shortages. Uh, I'm not sure North America would be first. In fact, uh, given the fact that the Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, and I would actually add the Middle East. The Middle East be probably affected first. And in fact, you're you're already hearing stories out of Syria, for example, where there are shortages being reported. And then after that, it would be Europe. North America, uh, it's less likely, uh, to be honest. So, uh, but still, it's a big chunk of the world being impacted by what's happening in the Ukraine. What are we talking about in terms of how high prices could go, Sylvain? I know we've asked you that a few times over the past year, and, and we were already talking about it being a, a record inflationary year, or, or at least in areas we haven't seen in 30 to 40 years. Is the sky is the limit here in terms of how high it could go? Well, so we did issue a statement. Uh, so, uh, as you know, uh, in December, we uh, released Canada's food price report, and we were expecting the food inflation rate to, to reach uh, 7%. Um, the, we met again this week to, with uh, the four universities uh, to review our models, and we're actually sticking to our, to our, to our forecast. However, we do believe that the Ukrainian conflict could push prices beyond that 7% threshold, unfortunately. Now, this morning, just this morning, a couple of hours ago, the United States just released its uh, infl- in inflation numbers, and inflation is, is basically at around 8% in the U.S., and, and historically, Canada has caught up to the Americans when it comes to food inflation. So things are looking great, uh, but they're more stable than other parts of the world. Uh, our system our, our is pretty stable compared to other places. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, keys to the game coming up in just over 60 seconds time. The sayings we get wrong for a chance to win stuff. We'll pick our winner at 9.15. Uh, Greg, what have we got here? Johnny says, kids say the darndest things. Don't even know if darndest is a word. Driving home on a cold day rings around the sun on a cold winter day. One of our kids called them sun puppies, forgetting it's supposed to be sun dogs. 
The saying stuck. So now if the rings are partial, it's puppies. They are full circle circles. They are sun dogs. And that just reminded me of, of the sign that my boys always were asking questions about when they were little kids. And they kept asking about bull pigs. Well, what's with the deal with the bull pigs, Dad? And I, where and what? Anyway, they kept insisting that there were signs with bull pigs. And then it hit me. In Elmwood, on Henderson Highway, the street signs are sort of fancy, and they feature at the top a silhouette of a man on an ox cart. Oh. So it's an ox. A bull pig. Not a bull pig. <laughs> but in our house, oh, oxen remain cute. bull pigs. Oh, and when the kids stop saying that, it's so sad when they it grow is. up with their little sayings. Like, well, I, one of ours used to say, are we going to Tim Portons? And I was like, it is important that we go to Tim's. Oh, that is dynamite. (laughs) The images coming out of Ukraine continue to shock and horrify. Yeah, and some of the latest pictures that we're seeing and the latest headlines around the world are those of pregnant women, you know, covered in dust and blood, walking down the stairs of a maternity hospital that had just been hit by a Russian airstrike. And that attack has been labeled by Ukraine and branded by some other countries as well as a war crime. We know this invasion is now 14 days old. Not only have thousands of soldiers and civilians been killed, but more than 2 million people have fled Ukraine. Ogle Rusina is a journalist with Hrobadzka Radio, and we first spoke to Olga on the morning after the invasion started, and then a few days after that, and she joins us again this morning. Olga, thank you so much for taking the time once again to uh, take some time out of your busy and I know chaotic Hi. days. How are you doing? What's what's the latest from what you've been seeing today? Hi, hi. Um, I'm fine, thanks. Uh, today is totally quiet day, and also it's a very sunny day in Kiev. So right now I'm in my flat, staring from the window. I just see a beautiful sun <laughs> over the over our building. So and we hope the night will be quiet as well. But we we never can be sure. Olga, it's so difficult to hear you say that, as heartwarming as it is, you, to understand what you're going through and what people in your country are going through. And, and there you are looking out at this beautiful day. Are you able to, every once in a while, sort of at, at least push aside momentarily w- what's happening in your country? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, here in Kiev, the uh, last couple of days, were not so difficult like it, it were, you know, two, two, two weeks before when this innovation started. But extremely difficult situation is, uh, you, you all, all this said about Mariupol and it's horrible. For example, I have, um, I know some people in, in Mariupol and uh, one of them, she texted me yesterday and said that, that, that she managed to, to leave Mariupol and she now is in Dnipro. But another, our friend, uh, we have no contact with him since uh, since the measure started. So, so for example, we we don't know if if he's alive or if he does. Maybe he he just uh, you know he isn't able to charge his phone much. Maybe he's he's not alive. So it's very difficult and extremely difficult situation in Kiev region in the suburbs. I mean, the small towns, Bucha, Irpin, Hostomel, you might have heard of them because. Uh, they are 
in fact, they are cut off from, from Kiev by Russian troops, and people are trying to evacuate to Kiev from, from there. But it's very difficult because Russia, Russian soldiers continue to, you know, to charge uh, civilians, civilians, uh, civil people, so, so it's difficult. Olga, one of the things that has that I continue to just be surprised by every day is the resolve that the people of Ukraine continue to show. Do you see any sign of that resolve weakening as this conflict, this war goes on now two weeks? You know, we besides all of that, we, yeah, we're well, still, you know, just in my opinion, we just, you know, have, just have this sort of feeling that we, uh, like, you know, if we lose this war, we will lose everything. You know, it's our home, and we. I, I have never, I, I have never, to, you know, no, no other place to go from there. And Kiev is my home, and a lot of people feel like that. And uh, for example, <laughs> today in the morning, I saw a message from my journalist Krista Grozev from Berlin's head, and he said that uh, Russian, uh, you know, uh, Russian uh, Putin and and. Uh, people which are close to him, uh, he said something like, you know, frightened and uh, and, and they didn't expect things to, to go like that. So Christoph Rosef said that maybe it will last for maybe 10 days. <laughs> and I really, I really, really would like to believe this. But I also, I'm prepared, you know, for, I would say, a couple of months. Like, I, I, I know that the Russians, they wouldn't, you know, just just go away like that. So we are prepared. We are prepared for the this kind of fight, but uh, we are still, you know, we, we are ready to fight and we are ready to defend. And for example, I have um, a couple of friends in the Tsarist and Defense Forces in Kiev, and from them I know that everyone is preparing also in the army now, also in Kiev. Just before we let you go, Olga, we just have about a minute here, but you talked about being prepared. You know, when we first spoke to you two weeks ago, we were wondering, is this just going to be a matter of days, this invasion? Now it's two weeks later. Yeah, you just mentioned <laughs> You mentioned now you're looking at a couple of months, right? So I'm just curious, are you able to access food? Is it still easy to get things out of the grocery store? Like, what's the supply issue out uh in addition to just trying to stay alive from the attacks, you have to eat and drink yeah. and, and all the rest. So, is there is there are there supplies? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I uh, I've just been to in the in the shop like uh, an hour ago, and I would say that in for example in Kiev, it depends uh, on the districts you live in because uh, I live far from the city center, and uh, in my district there are just less people. Uh, like I uh, like because uh, a lot of people have left to to other cities. So uh, I think that because of that, our food supplies are relatively okay. And uh, I even bought some, you know, some milk, some bread, and some this basic stuff. But for example, as far as I know, uh, most, the most difficult situation is is in the city center because there are more people in the city center and. Uh, they are. They have more difficult situations with supplies, but you know, uh, shops are open, and we have uh, we have food, uh, we have a place to sleep, we have these bomb shelters. So 
you know, I, I really, really, um, like, like for me personally, when I read this news from Mariupol, from Bucha, from Alpine, uh, I really feel like I, I have nothing to, you know, to say that's uh, <laughs> difficult for me or something like that, because really we have food and we are not cut off from, from the, you know, from, from other country and uh, we have our territorial uh, defense forces and army. So in Kiev, I would say that in Kiev situation is not so bad. Like in Kharkiv, also for example, or Chernihiv or Kherson. Kherson is occupied by uh, by Russians uh, uh, at this moment. So yeah, yeah, it's picking up shops and and other other stuff. It's relatively okay. It's, it's definitely better than in other cities. Olga Rusina is a journalist with Romatska Radio, joining us live from Kiev. Olga, thank you very much. Stay safe. We appreciate yeah, this. You're welcome. Yeah, I will. I will. And we should also point out as well, uh, if you were having difficulty understanding, so were we. Uh, she's in Ukraine, and there, you know, she has her heavy accent. Uh, so hopefully you were able to follow along with that because you know we you can still hear it in her voice, Loren. There is so much resolve. I believe she said we're defiant. Uh, at least that's what I uh, heard. And uh, so it's important, I think, to, to continue to check in with Olga and uh, and uh, her country people. I think sometimes the tone comes across just fine anyway, right? At the end there, just when you said, please stay safe, she said, I will, I will. And I <laughs> got a little teary even with those words that came through loud and clear because how do you know, right? Like, you you know, you can do what you can and, and she's now two weeks into going in and out of bomb shelters as often as she can and at night sleeping in them. And she says she's got food and she's got water and there was a sunset out her window. And so you add those things all up and that came through loud and clear to me. But um, sometimes the connection's not as strong as we'd like it to be, but what she has to say, you could feel it for sure. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, the song you're hearing is Word Crimes by Weird Al Yankovic. And we are playing this song because at 204-780-6868 this morning, you've been telling us about the sayings that you get wrong, the sayings that other people get wrong. And we have up for grabs either two tickets for David Spade at Club Region Event Center June 26th or a four-pack of tickets for Cottage Country's Lake and Cabin Show at Red River Exhibition Park next weekend. The winner shall pick the prize. The runner-up will get the other one. Andrew, one of our uh, runners up, not the runner up, but this one made me chuckle because Andrew says a friend of ours is famous for mixing up phrases. Here are a couple of classics. It's a doggy dog world, not dog eat dog world. <laughs> the only time it's acceptable to say doggy dog world is if you're singing a song by Snoop Dogg. Yo. It is an actual <laughs> song by Snoop. Uh, the other one is, why am I always the escaped goat? Oh, yeah. really? When something goes wrong. Oh, it's because you got away. You got out. <laughs> It, like it is, I know Changes it's a goat, but if a goat gets out, I don't know. That's not good either, is yeah. it? Like, no, you're oh. on your own. <laughs> Definitely not. And um, well, we I think we we're just for timing here. We probably got to get on with this. But uh, so, Greg, why don't you read our runner-up, Karen? I can do that. Good morning. Burning donuts. When my middle daughter was about six, we were driving by our recreation center. There were kids burning donuts in the parking lot. She asked. What they were doing, I replied, they're burning donuts. She looked puzzled. She asked, why are they in their car and why would they burn donuts instead of eating them? 
I laughed and had to explain. It was a figure of speech. Replied, that's dangerous and they should just eat the donuts. We still laugh to this day. She's now 25. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> She's right. You, know, you should just eat the donuts. Yes. <laughs> what a waste. Uh, but Loren, how about you take a stab at our winner here? Well, I like this one because the effort that went into it to sort of sum up all the different suggestions we were getting this morning. So this person says, my girlfriend always tells me that I don't talk good. Every time I ask her something, she gets frustrated. It leaves her chomping at the bit to change me. I would have changed if I knew what was wrong. But irregardless of that, we don't have any problems. Even this morning, I asked her a question and all of a sudden she went nuclear. I do love her to death. And I guess in this end, this will all be water under the fridge. <laughs> Congratulations to this unnamed listener. You shall pick the prize. And I just want to give an honorable mention to Rick, who uh, emailed uh, me, at least. I don't know if he emailed the two of you, but he says, um, hey, after a few of my Caesars, no one would be able to pronounce the word vodka, let alone Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> well done. That's tremendous. <laughs> Right now, I'm in my flat, staring from the window. I just see a beautiful sun <laughs> over the over our building. So, and we hope the night will be quiet as well. But we we never can be sure. So they hope the night will be quiet as well. But she was referencing that beautiful sunset. And so I emailed her to thank her for the interview. And she sent a picture right back of the sunset, just dipping down below the horizon, lighting the sky on fire right behind all the apartments around her. And I just thought, you know what? I want to share that image with you guys and the story with the listeners, because with all that's going on, there she is finding the beauty in some really dark and ugly moments. And I thought that was an amazing resolve and perspective. Hope and belief in a picture. And, uh, wow, what a powerful conversation and what a wonderful image. Uh, this could be anywhere in Osborne Village. It could be in West End, Vancouver. It could be in just about any modern city in North America. And you wouldn't know the difference, Brett. We love to celebrate local. Shop local, buy local, eat local. And on that last one, we are about to speak to someone who has been celebrating eating local for 25 years. Chow Magazine is celebrating its 25th anniversary with a special issue highlighting what's hot right now. Local producers and restaurants spicing up the city's food scene, Loren. So we're pleased to bring on Lori Hughes, president and publisher of Fanfare Communications Group, which publishes Chow Magazine. Uh, Got to say congratulations on your 25 years. Lori, how does that feel? <laughs> well, it doesn't date me at all, does it? <laughs> it, feels, it feels great. It's, uh, you know, as they say, you know, time time sort of gets out of joint when you're when you're having fun perhaps uh, certainly these last two years um, it, it makes it a little bit su- that much sweeter that we hit the 25 mark because uh, uh, you know it ain't it ain't for the faint of heart that is for sure <laughs> well entrepreneurship of course has been difficult the last two years but I, I think we've acknowledged and can confirm a, this shift to local a pride in local an understanding and endorsement of it and this is something that you've been doing for decades now so what's something that's changed during uh, you know the last several years that you like with regard to this push for for more local more celebrating local well i am so proud of our city for embracing the message of eating local over the past 25 years and you know i'm proud to to know that chow has contributed to to that 
um, you know, I think I think with the you know in these last two years, the pandemic has really put a um, focus on the importance of supporting local businesses. But yes, like you like you um, mentioned. I mean, we were we were um, uh, championing local businesses and promoting the eat local, shop local, buy local long before it was cool, long before that local um, love phrase um, was on board. And and the simple truth of it is that when it comes to food and eating local, you know, there's there's it, it's kind of it's the more practical way of approaching your diet when you when you are eating local food that is grown. Near nearby not only is it more eco-friendly and sustainable which we are becoming more aware of um, you know every year the importance of that but it is also um, the the more economical way many times and most certainly the more tasteful way you know if you if anybody's ever had a tomato you know fresh from the garden in the summer late summer versus the tomatoes that we can buy at this time of year we know that Eating in season, something local, is there's no comparison, right? So there's a real practicality there. And uh, it's a process. You know, people will learn about that and discover that difference uh, on their own timeline. But it's, it's very rewarding to see that as a whole, there has been a bit of an awakening, if you will, um, in, this, in this moment where people are appreciating local at a whole different level. You know, you make a great point on, on food that's, you know, that's fresh from the garden. Uh, my friend, uh, he's married to a woman who's actually from Ukraine. And I was visiting uh, her, I was at, with them and at her parents' place, and they grow all kinds of food in their backyard, grapes, and uh, they just pointed to the garden and say, that for whatever reason, dill just grows at random apparently there. So I, I was fascinated by that, and they sent me home with some. And uh, it, it, no comparison to what you can buy in the store. So that's uh, an excellent point. And then when it comes to the food that is grown in Manitoba, I understand that uh, our geography um, has a big part of that in terms of the diversity of that geography. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, exactly. The, the, um, I guess the, the moment that we decided at Fanfare that we wanted to create a city magazine and that it seemed like a natural um, um, path for us to approach it from the point of view of celebrating the food scene because we knew more about the food scene um, from our from our other arm of our business and you know we looked at Manitoba and we looked at the fact that we have a really interesting geography we have fields we have forests we have lakes and we have wetlands. So each of those areas provides um, a rich, um, varied source of food. So if we look at just the indigenous ingredients that come from those areas, I mean, we we now are able to see pickerel uh, from the lakes and, and northern pike from um, from our Manitoba lakes appear even on restaurant menus. But 25 years ago, that was not the case. So we were really at um, at a point where we wanted to celebrate our province and what it yields for food. And we had a group of restaurateurs and chefs that came along with us and and were excited because, of course, um, chefs are are the ones that know, you know, in, intuitively that the things that come near from nearby are going to taste better. So they were on board. And, you know, the, the end result in, in those early days is that we set a definition of what we called Manitoba regional cuisine. We still refer to Manitoba regional cuisine as food that reflects the land and its people. 
because the people uh, are what cook the food. <laughs> and, you know, in Manitoba, our population is so diverse and multicultural that we have something so special in our province because we have people that are that are cooking recipes from their homeland whether that's korea or jamaica or ukraine and they are applying some of the ingredients that they are able to get here in manitoba sometimes often better quality than what they were able to use in their homeland and we have something completely unique and you'll see then uh mashups that are using the ingredients that are available right here in Manitoba, like pickerel, for example, I'll use that. I'll stay with that example. And you'll see it with black bean and bok choy at a, at a Chinese restaurant. Or you will see it ceviche uh, at, a, at a Spanish-themed um, uh, restaurant. So you're really seeing some exciting things happen in this, in this part of the world with food. Lori, I just want to say I'm glad Brett booked this segment at the end of our show because I'm now starving. And at least I can go upstairs in 15 minutes and grab something to eat or start looking at all the menus. Uh, we don't want to let you go yet because we have to ask about Dine Out Winnipeg returning tomorrow uh, after a year off last year for the pandemic. And so what can we be looking at for the next two weeks? How does this work in terms of the campaign that you're trying to encourage? Well, yes, we are starting Dine About Winnipeg again after having to um, uh, set it aside last year, of course. But we, uh, we're we very excited for the community to get on board and to use this as a way to get out and try new things and uh, check out some of the restaurants that they have been missing over the course of the last two years, perhaps. You know, at the at the essence of what Dine About Winnipeg is all about, this is the restaurant a week, restaurant week, pardon me, that that was sort of established what restaurant weeks were all about. Um, they celebrate at their core the restaurant experience because going out to eat is more about the food on the plate. That is key for sure, but it's also about the setting and the service and the whole ambiance that we that we love and that we've been missing. And these these three course meals in the formula of Dine About Winnipeg that are offered at a set price and a bargain price are just a way for restaurants themselves to say they are grateful for the support that they've been that they get from the community and in exchange uh, as a way to entice the community to come and try them out. And, of course, diners uh, win from that formula as well because they get to try some fabulous dishes at a at, uh, really great prices. Lori Hughes, Chow Magazine, Dine About Winnipeg, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, the next two weeks should be exciting. Great. They, every, your readers, or pardon me, your listeners can uh, uh, find out what restaurants are involved from chowwinnipeg.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.